was some bump back down to earth for Norwich City. Uh, welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio. My name's Connor Southall, joined by Paddy Davitt and Samuel Seaman. Uh, we've uh, walked up the road to our, our office here at Prospect House to reflect on, uh, hopefully not reflect too much on it, a 3-0 defeat to uh, pace-setting Burnley in what was a pretty grim afternoon, maybe quite a humbling afternoon for Norwich City as well. Pad, um, hard to, to really reflect on, on that one because, I, I mean, as, as we walked into this game, Burnley were 20 points ahead of Norwich. That's, that gap has obviously grown. Um, it, it feels like we've not really learned anything new in the sense that we, we knew Norwich City weren't going to be in the top two come the end of the season, but that probably emphasised just how big the gap is between Norwich City and Burnley. Yeah, no, I mean, I... I mean, you say we haven't learnt anything new. Unfortunately, I think we've had a reminder of what we already knew in terms of some of the deficiencies in that group of players, really. And and it, the problems didn't begin and end with Dean Smith and Dean Smith's exit. And that's been visibly underlined this afternoon at Carrow Road. And yes, it's Burnley. Nine, no, no, that's now nine straight championship wins. I think they're on for a record. I think 10's the record, apparently. As you said, 20 points clear at kickoff, And in that first 20, 25 minutes... Uh, it was pretty embarrassing uh, the the deficit in in kind of approach between the two. You know, one one set of players clearly understood what they were trying to do and were executing it. And Norwich's, I'm afraid, were 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 a long way short. And in that period, obviously, there was some. We'll get into it in further depth. But there was a, a very charitable concession from Tim Krull. So, um, you know, yes, it was a it was probably the best team in the championship they faced. But still, I mean, some of the residual concerns around this group of players were there again to see and um you know it's it's concerning that David Wagner you know while he was fairly measured in his post match I think he'll look at that and feel that you know while knowing that there was work to do maybe the scale of it has been underlined today because there was there was no semblance of that was coming with the two previous away wins and the cohesiveness that they they brought to to the to the performances but today um no nowhere near and and he packaged it basically in that post match that it was essentially three in three areas not individual areas because the the two goals they conceded off corners you could you'd look at collectively an abdication but three errors and you take those out and he kind of inferred there wasn't too much in it really and maybe in terms of chance creation there wasn't but i think the reality was anybody who watched that game you know, Burnley cashed in, as all good sides do, on any vulnerability or, you know, weakness in the opponent. And thereafter, they coasted. So, you know, pretty dispiriting, really, after the first two games and the Farker in the Championship. But maybe it just underlines that, uh, you know, it, it isn't for, for all the positivity that's been brought by a change of head coach and the, and the character of this head coach in particular and the, the way he carries himself and his and his messaging... He yeah, doesn't have a magic wand. You know, he's working with the same set of players that Smith had. Um, and today was more evidence that there are issues in that group of players. And as a result, you know, it it's not obviously back to square one under Wagner, but, you know, it feels like a step back and they'll need to pick up the pace because we're recording this as the results are just coming coming in in the championship. But I think when I, I looked at the league table prior to you hitting record, they were ninth. So they're going to be in that sort of ballpark, three or four points outside the top six. You know, you're talking about top two. They're going to have a job on to get in the top six if if today is representative of, 
you know what they're going to produce over the over the coming games and the coming weeks because they they really do need to you know package this put it to one side learn from it and then um, very swiftly starting with Bristol City away next weekend uh, get back on the horse as it were and get get uh, get that man back it back in the in the driving seat and get the bus out of first gear because today they were you know woefully short woefully inadequate against the best side in the division to be fair yeah, the the table as we say, some some of these aren't full times. I think they they will become full times as we uh, as we progress deeper into into this record. Uh, Norwich currently ninth in the championship as things stand, uh, three points behind Watford in sixth, five points behind Middlesbrough who are uh, winning three nil. So um, uh, who have won three nil as that result just comes uh, on the bottom of our screen against Blackpool. Uh, so. We're beginning to see, Sam, a little... And this is kind of what I suspected might happen in, in the weeks ahead. The, the championship table, which has been so erratic and that race for the top six has been um, incredible, really, for, for the opening 30 games or so of this season, 29, 28, whatever. Um, it's beginning to take a little bit of shape now. Norwich now, and we'll probably end the pod on this, but they've, they've got a relatively favourable run coming up. I think they're playing five teams who are 15th or below. That might have changed since uh, since the... In fact, it has changed since uh, the games this afternoon. It, it, it's going to have to happen soon, isn't it? This kind of run of form, because even now, I think we're, we're looking at it as, what, 17, uh, maybe slightly more than that. I'm not very good at maths. I'll work out the maths while you're answering, but there's a, a certain period of games left. I think the, the average that they would need is two points a game to get to 70, which hasn't guaranteed playoff positions in, in past seasons. So the odds at the moment, and, and again, it probably more so in, in the wake and the rawness of this defeat, does feel stacked against them again somewhat. Yeah, and I think it's probably important to look at the context. They were quite a lot further, I'd suggest, away than, than they are now um, a couple of games ago. And those two consecutive wins points-wise, made a, a significant difference. In the Championship, you're always one run away from really propelling yourself up the table. So I don't think Norwich fans should feel particularly downtrodden about it. I don't think they're out of playoff contention or anything like that now. But what it does feel like is um, a bump down to earth and a reality check for any fans that thought, from, you know, from now on uh, or, or from... Wagner's arrival on after those two four goal wins on the road that it was just going to be plain sailing I think we all knew there was going to be a time when things weren't going to be quite as easy as they have been so far and I actually think the reaction to this is going to be the most revealing thing really Um, we've talked this up for a while as the first real opportunity to assess how ready this David Wagner side is for an actual promotion push and to compete with the side's they want to be competing with um, at that end of the table and today they've really come unstuck so can they um, find the mentality and the drive to be able to recover from that quickly because that's what you have to do in the championship Wagner referenced it in his press conference how quickly things come around and I think he'll relish the opportunity to turn things around as quickly as possible but it's whether his players can do that because there are probably a number of championship teams who don't have the quality throughout the team and the consistency to be able to rely upon those players and they have to rely upon different runs of momentum um, to propel them up the table. And I think Norwich don't want to get to a place where they're guilty of that. They want to be able to show that they can bounce back from these sorts of scenarios. So it's certainly not out of reach, the playoffs now. Um, But 
they can't slip straight back into the, that mentality that that they had under Dean Smith, where it felt very very quickly as soon as something went wrong that everything was wrong and. Um, you know, it was only heading in one direction. You know, David Wagner's team, even at Huddersfield, that ended up being promoted. Were, you know, when things went wrong, they went really wrong because that's the nature of David Wagner's system. Is it's, it's sort of all or no, all or nothing, and when you get unstuck, you really do get unstuck. So, uh, I think I, I can see a path for them back into the playoffs. Um, just to try and add some positivity uh, on an afternoon where I'm sure plenty of Norwich fans are feeling quite negative, but this has outlined that. Just because they've changed head coach, it's not going to be a, a ten game winning streak all the way to playoff bliss and potentially even promotion. Norwich really do have a fight on their hands because of um how they've done over this season and as I see them slipping down to tenth, it's getting I was, more I was literally about to say <laughs> you mentioned the word positivity and I've got a league table in in front of me which is live because the results are coming in. And uh, and Norwich have, have just have just slipped down to tenth. Yeah. So that's quite something. And Swansea look like because they were three two up and they're now four three down to to, to Birmingham, uh, a ninety seventh minute winner. So the championship has been and they're back up to ninth. There we go. <laughs> there we can we can end that on that on it's a way bit. more exciting than deadline day. This is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. We should do this every week. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> be great and a, a draw for uh, for Ipswich at Cambridge as well. So it's not all, it's not all bad. It's not all bad. Um, Paddy, I, I mean, it, it, it's it's right what Sam says there, and, and David Wagner did say this. I think in in his open, or Stuart Webber might have said this in in his unveiling um, press conference where. Norwich are going to have days like this where because of the system that they're trying to transition to and the fact they're doing it mid-season, they're going to have some days where it doesn't look or function particularly well, which probably leans us nicely to, to that first goal and to Tim Krull's error because he has said previously that if players make mistakes playing out from the back, that's on me, that's the way I encourage them to play, that's the way I want them to play. Um, so is this kind of those errors that we saw today and and we'll come to the set piece ones but specifically the Tim Krull one is that just a byproduct of this kind of teething period that we're going to see where Norwich City are probably going to have weeks like they did particularly Preston but maybe the second half against Coventry where they they blow teams away but they're also going to have some some really difficult afternoons where it does look slightly dysfunctional yeah that's a fair comment but I think a lot of this discussion you know, you have to, you do have to keep reiterating. It's against a team who are the best in the division, will go on and be the champions, and were able to exploit the vulnerabilities that that Norwich exhibited. That palpably hasn't been the case. You know, Coventry had a spell of of two goals in that midway through that first half, but but thereafter Norwich were able to resume control. Preston likewise never really had any put any dent in Norwich. So I think it underlines the levels in the championship, and they've played the best today. And um, and they will punish you ruthlessly. And uh, it was a bad error. And we've seen that in both those two games from Tim Krull and got away with it. You know, that, that poorness with the ball at his feet. And, you know, he, Wagner was asked directly about is Krull comfortable enough to play that football at his feet in his post-match this afternoon. And he felt it was a slightly unfair question to ask and, and made it clear that, you know, today anyway, at least, you know, you talk about an error there, but there was... Co- Collective errors yeah. in terms of not marking men, not marking space for both the corners, and both of those led to goals as well. So he's right to draw that parallel, but I just think with Krull particularly because it's set against the backdrop of you know certainly outside the bubble a sense that Angus Gunn was very unfortunate to be were removed from the starting lineup, and of course today because of a hip issue he wouldn't have played anyway. But um, you know Tim Krull has had to deal with that kind of backdrop that. 
you know, most Norwich fans, I think it's fair to say, felt he was very fortunate to come back in and any error he was going to make was going to be magnified. But unfortunately, he's made a very big one today and, um, you know, only he can answer what, what it was his thought process there because it, it looks horrendous in real time and every replay I've seen since, it doesn't cast him in a, a favourable light in terms of what, what was going through his head at that point. And as I say, you're playing against the team with players who will punish you at this level and... Um, and that really did set the tone and the inverse of what happened at Preston and Coventry where Norwich came out of the traps and really took control of those games and, and never looked back and they wasn't able to, when they fell the wrong side of it, um, wrestle the initiative back. And uh, for me, you know, it, I think it's harsh to maybe sort of extrapolate this was all on Tim Krull because I, I think in the game generally they didn't do enough. They didn't work Burnley's keeper anywhere near enough. They... Their midfield, I thought, was so far off it today. You know, McLean, Zara, Dowell, um, Hernandez even, who have impressed collectively and individually in those two away games. Second best today against Burnley. The, the speed they moved the ball at, the intensity they played at, the width they put on the game. Norwich just couldn't handle it in that first 25-minute spell. And unfortunately, the, the headline element of that period was Krull's error. Um and who knows if they if they had navigated it and and as they did sort of grew into the game, it might have been a different outcome. But inevitably, it will fall on Krull because you know it was a a major turning point so early in the game. But no, just collectively, I think you know you can't un, you can't dismiss that. Um, for me, they they wasn't at it at all today, and um, and why you know Wagner needs to get to the bottom of that. You know, was there an inferiority complex with Burnley? You know, were they kind of seeing you know a team who are rolling into town on the back of eight league wins and 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 the consistency they've shown and and there was an there was a sense of you know maybe not quite believing they could get something today. If so, that that would be concerning. But I just think they were so second best in that. 20-25 minutes spell which company himself referenced Vincent Company after the game he thought that was really where the game was won the way that Burnley set themselves up um, and dictated what happened in that opening period and thereafter it was it was just basically managing the game from Burnley and obviously they were gifted then to, to further goals from, from corners but yeah uh, inevitably a keeper makes an error as, as, as costly as that it's going to end in a goal and, and unfortunately as I say it's not just about today it's the backdrop of Tim Krul coming back in when I think most outside the club anyway would would feel he was very fortunate to do so. So, you know, we'll see now moving forward what that means for Tim Krul, but uh, it's unfortunate. But, you know, there was a sense maybe that was going to happen at some point if anybody had watched the two previous games because he did something very similar in both those games and unfortunately wasn't punished as he was today. Yeah, and, and that was the point I was I was going to make. With, with you, Sam, really, because there was one at Preston. I, I want to say Cannon was the player who, who benefited from from that one, but I might be wrong. It might have been the other Preston striker, but at, at Coventry, it was it was Gustavo Hamer. Very similar incidents. I think these were both from open play, though. I think what may, I, uh, to be honest, I, I don't I don't really get what he's tried to do because he, he's he's tried to find Max Aarons, and, and I think he's just rushed it. And, and whether he's not looked, I mean, replays suggest that he, he has looked. I mean, Zaruri doesn't move, so his position hasn't changed. And he still played that pass. But I think even if he plays that pass, he absolutely kills Norwich in terms of trying to get out of that situation because he had Andrew Ramadelli to his right, Grant Hanley to, to his left. Just just a very strange decision. He could have played it to Ramadelli, invited Burnley's press on, and then Norwich would have would have had the outball of, of Max Ehrens on, on the right. So a very bizarre uh, decision if that pass would have been completed anyway. Obviously, even more bizarre that it isn't. But 
this has been coming with Tim Krull, hasn't it? And and whether you attribute it to rustiness or whether this is kind of what we've seen from Tim Krull down the line, and I think we, we've seen enough of him, as brilliant as he has been for Norwich City over, over the piece and throughout his involvement with the club, that he does have this type of error in him, particularly when it comes to distribution. Yeah, and it's something that Angus Gunn certainly doesn't have from what we've seen of him in a Norwich shirt. And that's been the main question for me over... Well, throughout Krull's time in a Norwich shirt, really, yes, he improved that under Daniel Farker. I imagine that took a significant amount of work under that regime to do. But in the modern game, especially under coaches that want to play football the right way and want to be able to pass the ball out quickly, I don't see how you can afford to have such a significant flaw in a player's system. Uh, Sorry, in a a system, in in a player's, you know, a weakness in a player where... that is so key to that system. So it probably is becoming quite difficult for Wagner to justify, even when you stack it up, all the positive intangibles of his sort of dressing room influence and his experience and um, his leadership as well. If you, you know, if you had anybody else on that pitch that had such a significant hole in their game that so massively related to the system and how, how they played I'm, I'm it. Gonna, I'm going to jump in, just because I, I think that, in ta- and it's not necessarily the argument you're making, I understand, but a, a lot of people do say, oh, well, the experience and the leadership point. Well, I, I don't really get the relevance of that because if you're making mistakes like he's been making in, in recent games, what 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 does leadership do? And and, and again, I think Ang- Angus Gunn has showed no more or no less leadership yeah. than, than Tim Krull has this season, in, in my view. No, I agree with you, but it's the answer that... Of course, yeah, yeah I know, I know. Coaches I know. Yeah. give us, you know, every time that we ask them why, why if you pick these players, it's our whatever. I mean, even today, Wagner was saying about you know, um, caps for the Netherlands, you know. So they do use use that as the explanation, and I agree with you. I'm not sure quite what it contributes, but if if head coaches want to come out and tell us that that's the reasons why they're in the team, we have to take them at their word for it because, frankly, there doesn't seem to be that much of a an alternative explanation for why Krul, firstly, you know, would is in the team in the first place. And then Wagner, you know, it feels harsh to be criticising him this early on in his tenure, but that seems to me a really difficult expl- um, decision to be able to explain. I can't find a reason why he would, first of all, pick Krul and then keep him in the team when... I was actually sort of speaking to my dad yesterday and we both agreed we couldn't see a situation where he plays for the rest of the season and doesn't make a, a big, you know, a howler and gives away a goal. I don't think there are too many Norwich fans that would have looked at it prior to today and said, I believe in Krul, not even to be impressive, but to just not make a massive error between now and the end of the season. So that's one of the only decisions from Wagner so far I really struggle to justify and it's it's like you say but what relevance does the experience point have not really any but what what other explanation are we supposed to fit to it when there doesn't seem to be one I, I just uh, it's just just a nonsense argument if 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 we played every player on experience you'd be playing 36 year olds every week it's just it, it's pointless what does it mean I don't I don't get what it means and it feels like again as much as that's maybe a tick in the box of Tim Krull it kind of feels like well Angus Gunn is, is is basically not playing because he's younger. Is that kind of what we're saying? Because that's a, that's a really flawed argument itself. But I mean, and and you can we can have a debate about that all day. But we'll we'll, we'll move on. I mean, I mean, Pad, it, there are a lot of Norwich fans who really love Tim Krull, really grateful for 
for what he's contributed at the club and he's contributed enormous amounts during his what four four and a half nearly five years at, at the club and I don't think anyone can have any debate that you know if let's let's say he, he left the football club tomorrow I think he would he, he would have um, tributes pouring out of his uh, you know uh, there'd, be, there'd be tributes everywhere there'd, there'd be a lot of love for him he's still a very popular figure he has a great connection with the fan base and we've we've spoken about connection on, on a wider point this year but it does feel like Norwich City's best goalkeeper isn't playing at the moment. I know he had an injury today, so that that perhaps is is something to to throw into this argument for for balance. And I think David Wagner said after the game that, that uh, he's unlikely to return to training before the end of the week. Angus Gunn. But that's it, it. Still feels like Norwich City's best goalkeeper isn't isn't playing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, there's one opinion that matters in this de- debate, if, if it is a debate we're having, um, and that's David Wagner's and. From Preston onwards, he decided it was Tim Krul for him. Nobody in this room, I think, is is of a different opinion. It should be Angus Gunn in goal. Uh, you know, we reacted, myself and you, Connor, um, fair degree of incredulity at two o'clock on the day of the Preston game when that team news dropped and we're at Deep Dell doing our live team news video and and maybe we made to look a little foolish uh, come the end of that game because they've won the game and Tim Krul made those, let's yeah, get it yeah. right, those two key stops early in the second half. Um, we got the call right. Um, you could argue Coventry got the call right because they won the game. But unfortunately, when they don't win games and, and, and then they make the errors they have made and, and that individual in particular, um, it will be scrutinised and... You know, it's going to be a difficult one now because, I mean, there, might, there may be a get-out if, if Angus isn't really fit for contention for Bristol City. But thereafter, you know, it goes midweek Saturday, midweek Saturday. Um, you know, there's almost a sense you're waiting for the next error from Tim Krul. And that's not fair on him, really, for, for the reasons you've stated about what he has given to the football club. Of course, if he's picked, what's he going to say? No, gaffer. Um, I'll take a step back. Mm. I don't want to play. Angus deserves to... Of course, he's going to play. So... It's as much on Wagner this as it is on on Tim Krul ultimately, um, and it's a difficult one now because it is becoming an issue. We've spent the last five minutes of this podcast talking about it. Plenty of other fans will be talking off the back of what he's done today in this game about it. Um, and do you need that as a sideshow? You don't. He's got enough on his plate as it is, Wagner. But you know, it's worth stating that all he could really offer when I asked him after the game at Preston, why did you go with Krul over Gun, was a hunch and a feeling. He did go on to say he'd spoken to both of them and what what he said to them would remain private. I'd, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall because you would think he would have had to offer a bit more than a hunch or a feeling when he sat and he's got Angus Gunn across the table from him as to why he's actually demoting him effectively. And, and, and for Angus as well, um, that's happened on a few occasions. It's, yeah. it's not it's not kind of a one-off that he's been dropped for, well, for something like should, that. I mean, why he's did, he's we, been dropped for a lot less than what Krull's done today, I guess, is, is the Well, argument. yeah, but but why did he... I don't know, different manager now, but why would why did he come out for Tim Krull for the Tottenham game on the final day of the Premier League season? Having ousted Tim Krull and, albeit in a side that were going in the wrong direction, but had justified his selection, I felt. I mean, there was that game, that midweek game at Leicester where he was he was phenomenal. Um they lost the game, but no through no fault of that man. And uh, Dean Smith, as it was at the time, which well it well it felt like it was this Tim Krul swan song last day of the Premier League season. He was maybe moving on in the summer. There was all that kind of in the background about he might have needed to move on to secure his World Cup place with Holland, which didn't come to pass as it turned out. And basically, 
I remember Dean Smith was just defying that selection that day that he, Tim needed game time because he was going off to play friendlies with Holland. Again, if I'm Angus Gunn, I'm sat listening to that. I'm thinking, what on earth does that say to me? What, 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 what? In terms of how my I'm valued within this group of players, um, and he's in his rights to feel the same again because through no fault of anything he's done on the pitch and his performance levels, he finds himself on the outside again today. Reiterate, probably would have come out. Well, he would have come out anyway if he had started the last two games because of an injury. Um, but certainly those t- two previous games, uh, he can count himself very unfortunate. And I mean, you wrote a very good piece about, you know, where does this move on and how does it resolve itself in the summer? Because, you know, Angus Gunn, you can guarantee at the age he is now, is not going to want to uh, get past this season uh, and then be basically told he's he's probably going to be the number two here, whether that's the Cruel or somebody else. So... You know, it isn't just in the here and now. The here and now is what matters, clearly, um, because there's a there's a playoff push to revive. But moving on, there's there's other dimensions to this now that that come into play for the mid and longer term. And as I say, now it, he, David Wagner has firmly backed himself into a corner um, with his with his faith in Tim Krul because he, he almost probably has to play him now at Bristol, although he might have to get out that Angus isn't going to be physically fit. But thereafter, when he is. Um, you know the next mistake sadly and we'll be back here again having this debate so it is what it is it's ultimately I guess for Tim Krull to eradicate these these residual issues in his game which as I say were threatening to lead to what the outcome was today and unfortunately it has done but you know three games the same error in three games that's not good enough is it and obviously one of them was only led to a goal but you know, to be committing the same issue over and over and again for an experienced player, it's not, it's not good enough. No, no, I would agree. And uh, and obviously, just just the last point on Angus, from from what we were led to believe, there was, uh, was certainly from from Steve Clark some pers- persuasion trying to go on to get him to play for Scotland. So I'm sure that's uh, another factor that is, is is in the background as well, and whether that um, plays a part in 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 kind of that debate that you had there in terms of the long term aspect of it, because at some point Norwich are going to have to make a choice and go with it and. It feels somewhat unsustainable to to have kind of this this situation that they've got where they've got two number ones, um, because one of them is going to be unhappy moving forward, whatever happens. So you have to find a resolution to that. I think um, going into into next season, whether it's a nice problem to have at the minute or not. Um, Sam, I mean, we we've, we've spoken about Tim Krul there, and, and as, as Paddy said right at the start, it does feel like a lot of the spotlight is going to be on him and, and perhaps somewhat unfairly because there were two mistakes from corners that Norwich City made within five minutes of, of, of each other where they failed to win first contacts for both. Um, Vitinho, who made a fairly simplistic movement, really, uh, seconds after coming on as a substitute where he kind of ran towards the goal line then pulled back away, uh, did that unmarked. Max Aarons then clocked him, um, but he's obviously then trying to make up ground to get to him. Uh, that pulls him away from the post, that creates a gap. That that leads to the goal. The second one, which is a deep ball in, no one tracks Ian Matson with, with his run to the back post. He's able to again completely unopposed put a ball back across a six yard box for uh, Burnley's uh, defender to, to to score the third. Two uh, and as much as we talk about the Tim Crawl error, uh, and that's going to get I would imagine uh, as, as it has done on on this on this show a lot of debate and a lot of of people talking. The defensive situations from those corners were, were just as bad. Yeah, it's quite ironic actually. I saw a stat, I think yesterday, that Norwich had conceded the fewest goals from corners um, so far this season. And I was actually surprised because they don't stand out as a particularly impressive set-piece team. And I think Alan Russell has come in for quite a, 
quite a lot of criticism at times this season for obviously being the set-piece specialist and coach that he is at the club. Um, and he's relied upon to improve those situations. But it really was quite amateurish, um, the way that they conceded those two goals today. And it's quite frustrating, actually, when you think about how much better Burnley looked. And Norwich could have earned a point against a team um, who really are on course to promotion and really did look quite a lot better than them um, had they just cut out those errors. And you look at that with the you know the prism of their eventual goal of Premier League sustainability and you think you probably want a team that actually has that quality, that has that ability to grind out results. And given they actually restricted the number of clear-cut chances Burnley created in open play, they really gave themselves an opportunity, had they cut out those errors, to go and secure a good result and they wasted it with three really poor um, concessions first with one after eight minutes as well. The timing of them is almost as poor because, um, as as I saw somebody highlight earlier today, um, you work the whole week on a, a game plan and after eight minutes it's basically gone because Cruz made an error that means the... Um, that game plans out of the window, uh, you know, in the eighth minute. And it's the same thing in the second half, really. You go into the break, you have an opportunity to assess where you are, to come out, have a fresh start. And I think after 10 minutes, they conceded that first one. And five minutes after that, it's another sloppy concession from a corner. And it really is a poor trait that at this level, Norwich have to cut out. And it's something we've seen... Throughout the season, they got away with it with a 3-2 win over Bristol earlier in the season. I think they conceded two goals they would have been unhappy with on that night. Um, there was a really poor goal conceded against West Brom that could easily have ended up with a loss, but actually ended up with a draw when West Brom were really struggling at the wrong end of the table and Norwich would have expected to get more out of that game. And um, it's just, I think it's a lack of concentration. That's what it looks like to me. And it's a a problem that's plagued them throughout the season and throughout recent history, really, and something you'd like to see them cut out because they're, they're already up against it in so many different ways. The financial aspect, the fact that they've had such a poor start to the season, the change that's going on at the club at the moment and the fact that they've only had a new head coach for less than a month. And they really don't need to add to their own woes with individual errors and mistakes. And those corners are a perfect example of that, I think. It should be relatively easy for professional players who work all week on preparing for games to combat quite simple set-piece routines, such as the ones that led to those goals early in the second half. And they weren't able to do that. So where the blame rests with that, I'm not sure whether it's David Wagner or Alan Russell or the players individually, but somebody probably should have taken responsibility and sorted that out before it ended up where it was because I felt Norwich, given they were restricting Burnley to chances that they were gifted by Norwich, I, I felt with the attacking quality they had, they always had a chance of coming back into the game while it was 1-0 and to concede so early in the second half when you thought they might have a fresh start and they might be able to go for it was really disappointing and, and they wiped out their own opportunity there. So... I'd like to see them cut that out, probably work on it. But as I said about the, the statistics on conceding the goals from corners so far this season, probably worth putting it in that context. And I, I'm not sure the corners are becoming a long-term issue, thankfully, you know, especially given they've paid for a set-piece coach um, to be there. But sw uh, switching off and losing concentration is something we've seen from this group fairly often. And, and 
those are the sorts of easy wins that you have to be getting when things are quite difficult for you. Yeah, uh, just to 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 clear up because the all of the games in the championship have uh, have now finished. So Norwich sit in tenth uh, after all of the results at three o'clock today. Um, I think Mill were were pegged back relatively late on. So uh, that's that's basically uh, pushed them down a place, but but also means the gap to uh, to West Brom in sixth is uh, is only two points. So that maybe makes people feel a, a little bit more positive, but still five points to, to Luton in fourth and to uh, and to Middlesbrough in third, although Norwich do have a game in hand on Middlesbrough. So uh so so that's that's how it looks. Yeah, I mean I mean Sam's right, Pad, in terms of the the set pieces because they, they haven't been an issue really this season and for all of Norwich City's faults in the championship actually um, from from defensive set pieces, they they have tightened up. They have been relatively um, secure for for this season. And Alan Russell deserves, of course, credit for for his role in that. So so that probably is what will make this game and the concessions they did make from those two corners um, so frustrating for for David Wagner, I'd imagine, because it's not something that has been in their game so far this season. No, and, and I'm trying to think. I mean, the the two. I mean, yeah, both the goals they scored uh, conceded against Coventry wasn't a result of that. They were open play phases of play. Um, so on his watch, that's probably the first time he's you know seen that vulnerability and that you know whether he packages it as a, as a one off and exploited by a very good team at this level, um, time will tell. But but ultimately, you know, as Sam rightly says, it does it does shine a light again on some of the residual issues. About the concentration and the you know responsibility at key phases of a game, which which that was you know one nil down early in the second half, <coughs> the game's over, game's over in the space of five or six second half minutes, uh, and it's not Burnley carving them open with the you know excellent football and a clinical edge, it's two reasonably decent deliveries from set pieces and and um, and good movement. Um, you know, so I think Wagner himself said, you know, you don't concede, you shouldn't concede those goals at any level of football. Certainly not the level that Norwich are operating at, or, or pretensions to go even higher. So, but it's it, we don't need to run away and extrapolate. You know, this is this is now Norwich's Achilles' heel moving forward. You know, t- time will tell, um, and it might, you know, in a roundabout way, we may learn more, or Wagner, more importantly, may learn more from a game three games into his championship tenure about, right, there are issues here that we need to address rather than, you know, a false sense of kind of security by, by rolling on a few more positive results before, you know, before the the wheels came off as they did today. So if there's anything to salvage from it, um, you know, very early on, he's he's now got a real 90 minutes of, you know, first-hand experience uh, sat or stood there at the touchline watching it unfold of, yeah, okay. I can maybe maybe he'll go away tonight and, and over the coming days and, and, and realise that you know that there's a reason why he's 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 in this post now and it and it wasn't all on Dean Smith. You know that, that there are issues within this group of players and and he will now quite visibly have seen that you know he needs to, and his coaches need to very swiftly eradicate them and um and if they do that then you know yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't despite them being in tenth and that feels quite uh quite a, a worrying position to be in in the table but the points differential to, to the top six mm. uh, and the games they still have and as you said there's a favourable run in terms of the potential league status of their upcoming opponents to harvest enough points to get them back in into the mix but um, but because we're you know this is being recorded 
straight off uh, a game where unfortunately it sort of revived some of the, the more negative emotions around Norwich's championship season thus far. Um, it feels feels quite deflating really after the you know the inevitable optimism generated by what what had gone before at Preston and Coventry. But you know I think he more or less inferred it post match David Wagner that. As he didn't go overboard with those two wins, he's not going to go the other end and um, you know feel it's all doom and gloom and overreact to what he's seen. He, he he packaged it as errors, basic errors, and we're talking in this segment about the two that goals they've conceded from corners. He probably goes away and thinks we can eradicate that fairly straightforwardly. Just work on the training pitch. You know he he's, he's clearly a massive exponent of intensity putting the work in at Colney uh, and and he will feel now right okay you know maybe there's a few more a few more of them double sessions coming down the pipe because um yeah that that isn't acceptable and he won't he'll be the first to admit that isn't acceptable you know for where Norwich have aspirations to get to this season irrespective of where where that would lead them beyond they need to to eradicate what we've seen today uh, and albeit against a very good team but Ultimately, if you switch off like that against any team in this league, you're probably going to concede goals. So that needs to stop. It needs to be a one-off on Wagner's watch. Yeah, and I think even yeah, I mean, he said even after after the four 0 win at Deepdale that there was still a hell of a lot of work to do, and he reiterated reiterated that after Coventry. It's the kind of game that almost you think he, he would have, in many ways, even though the result isn't favourable, may have been slightly more beneficial with him in terms of exposing the the elements of Norwich City's performance that that do need a lot of work. And uh, I think we can all see that. And and of course, it's it's about context as well. It's about the quality of of opposition. A twenty point gap between these teams moving um, heading into this. Game, uh, Burnley looked every single point better than Norwich City, didn't they? Throughout that contest, Norwich were comfortably second best uh, throughout it, and so that has to be taken in, into consideration because they have not played and they will not play a team that are better than Burnley between now and, and the end of the season. And in many ways, that's not the team that they're going to have to be to, in, in order to get themselves in the playoffs. So, I think there is an element of of just kind of brushing it off slightly and being able to brush it off slightly whilst of course acknowledging those individual errors acknowledging the the elements that need polishing in in training and uh, and almost getting back to it next week because you know we, we will come on to that to that run so I don't want to talk about it too much but there is a block of games now where it does feel like they have an opportunity to to pick up points Sam I mean I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, the home form because it's one win now in 11 I think is Norwich have won one game at Carroll Road since September which is uh, an abysmal run of form. Obviously, a lot of that happened before David Wagner. Um, to, to be fair to him, but uh, that that is not the type of form that they're going to need. And, and to be frank, if that sort of form persists, then we're not going to be talking about the playoffs come the end of the season. So, two part question, really: Why why do you think it has been so difficult for them at for uh, at home? Sorry, and how do they go about turning that that form? around because it it feels increasingly like it's becoming problematic now in terms of their own season because away from home this year actually they've they've not been too bad at all yeah I think there are probably a couple of issues I think towards the back end of Dean Smith's tenure there certainly was a pressure coming from those fans I'm not criticizing the fans I think they were in a position where they had no choice really but to voice their displeasure but that did put players under pressure and it did probably make it harder for them to perform at times um, and you look at things since they've obviously let go of Dean Smith and under David Wagner, I think the issue has shifted simply to difficult fixtures and um, without totally relieving them of 
any requirement to perform in those games because I think as a relegated Premier League team in the Championship, you should be competing with everyone, really. But just looking at where they are now and being really realistic about the way that the squad's performed this season, they have played um, Watford, Blackburn, Burnley um, in some of those recent home fixtures. Even Reading have produced some pretty solid results um, in recent times and they were another team who came to Carrow Road and earned a point. So I think... The fixture list hasn't been particularly kind to them, you know, all things considered. And considering the fact that Norwich should be competing at the top end of the championship every time they're in it, in my opinion. Um, but there probably is a little bit of a psychological element as well. Um, they haven't had the the ability to celebrate with their home fans since October. And that probably does take its toll. It probably is a matter of habit and winning Winning is a habit, and you know you heard. Um, I think Jordan Hugo spoke a bit about it in his interview with you, and um, when he was speaking to Rotherham's official channels about winning mentality in a dressing room, and how that was something he valued so highly at Norwich. And without that winning mentality, and without that association that comes with consecutive wins and building up the habit of victory at Carrow Road, you can see why they might turn up at their home ground and not feel particularly confident or not feel particularly boosted by the fact that they've got that home support. I think um, there was probably an example of the tension that's been created a little bit um, today when that that error from Cruel so early on meant that the whole concept of playing out from the back was sort of under investigation from those Norwich fans, I think, throughout the game. And it was at a point where... It, felt more and more tense every time they were trying to play out and then I think there was actually quite a loud cheer when they decided to you know everybody to get together and um, for Tim Krul to go long from a goal kick so there are a few elements I think the discontent amongst those fans has begun to set in or began to set in and probably was at its worst I think in that 2-0 um, loss to Blackburn towards the end of Dean Smith's tenure um and maybe is starting to set in again now that results are, are pretty poor. Um, so I think it's going to be a case of maybe having to just grind out a victory, um, whether the performance is good or not, and they've probably got the opportunity to do that with that perhaps slightly easier run of fixtures um, in, in the next few games. It might allow them to, even if they're not at their best, to grind out a result and to find goals from somewhere um, at Carrow Road. And hopefully that will remind Norwich fans of of why they're there and what it feels like to to have Carrow Road be such a an arena of positivity and to be a a positive for them in that sort of promotion race but especially against the backdrop of um season ticket renewals and and that sort of thing you really do want your fans associating being at that home ground with entertainment and with victory and with a a positivity that hasn't been there for quite a while so for me it's vitally important that they not only turn that around you know, a little bit, but they turn it around in a big way because what you really want, especially in the Championship, is for Carrow Road to be viewed as a fortress and it hasn't been close to that for a while now. Yeah, Pat, there's, there's also the, the other issue that Norwich have, and again, it, you have to put put this in context that today it was Burnley, but it, it feeds in perhaps to, to a wider point that um, they haven't beaten any of the, the current top top six Certainly, uh, they've they've beaten two of the the top nine because they they've obviously beaten Sunderland and Millwall, but uh, lost twice against Burnley, drew against Sheffield United, lost to Middlesbrough, lost twice to Luton, lost twice to Watford, and obviously drew 
uh, to West Brom, but that was before they had Carlos Corbran in charge. That was uh, that was under Steve Bruce earlier on in the season. So, I mean, I, not that I want to look too far ahead, but given what we're talking about in terms of playoffs, it's not the type of statistics that particularly bodes well. But then I guess, you know, it maybe won't even matter. But let's get there first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'll well, we the collective we we'll, the collective we. Yes. We'll, we'll save up the wins against the top six for when it really matters in the playoffs. Uh, there's no point. Well, there is the stat from the last one, yet. wasn't there? In terms of they they didn't beat Middlesbrough in the normal season, then obviously beat them at Wembley. So yeah, well, time it time you run, time yeah, you run. Absolutely. Uh, but no, I mean it's yeah, it's not. It doesn't fuel you with the belief that when push comes to shove, they can't because I mean they have to go. to I'm just doing this off the top of my head. They've got to go to Middlesbrough. Um, in the regular season still. Um, still. Yeah, still got Sheffield United at Carrow Road, yeah. still got to go to Middlesbrough, um, still got to go to West Brom, still Blackburn. got to go to Millwall, still got to go to Blackburn, no, to go to Blackburn, and they've got Sunderland at home to come. Um, yeah, so, but, you know, ultimately, they know where they need to get to, and to get to there, they're going to have to, he's going to have to rectify that. You know, there's, feels like we've spent the last few moments talking about, you know, diabolical home records and and this is another one that needs to be addressed remedied and and very swiftly as well and and that is you know results against the teams in and around you because that as we as we get down the stretch you know we're talking about maybe a two point gap as as we record this to the top 6 but it's those playing the teams around you is when you're going to see real shifting plates in in terms of the playoff picture you know it's all very well and good accumulating points against the teams who are outside of that mix but if they're going to, you know, stay in touch and overhaul, then they're going to have to find wins against these sets of players. And and to be honest, I know the results don't suggest it, but you know, Burnley aside, it I, I haven't altered my original opinion this season. It's such a muchness of a muchness this league. There is nothing really precluding Norwich from getting results, results for me against all these other teams. They haven't done it. But even that Sheffield United game at Bramall Lane, you know, how they haven't won that game. You know, Pookie misses the penalty, doesn't he? Um, were they 2 0 up in that game? At one, I think they were, weren't they? 2 0. And, you know, so that, you know, partly maybe it's a bit of a quirk of statistics. But of course, this stage of the season, you know, you have to say there's probably a bit more to it than that. But I'm not unduly concerned about that particular aspect. But, but certainly the Car Road winning mentality, that has to come and come quickly. Yeah, and uh, the the next block of games really interesting as well. They obviously go to Bristol City next weekend under Nigel Pearson, who uh, are certainly in the bottom half. Hull City, who have had a little bit of a resurgence under Liam Rossinia. Um So that's going to be interesting. Next one at Carrow Road, of course, on Valentine's Day. I'll let you write your own puns for that. Uh, then we head to, to Wigan, who are uh, bottom of the table. And to be honest, looked like an absolute circus after getting rid of Colo Toure after nine games and replacing him with Sean Maloney. Uh, and then Norwich um, have Birmingham and Cardiff to finish finish, finish February. Uh, and then we do get into some really sort of tasty games in March. So they've got a block of games here now that are going to be viewed as maybe even decisive because it's an opportunity for them to get quite a big haul of points. And if they're able to do that, who knows? Suddenly this season and their playoff um, prospects look completely transformed. Uh, a couple of things to, to talk about then before we end the pod. Deadline day, that's been and gone. No one's put a bid in for us. We're all still here. The pod's still here. So, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll go again in the summer. Um, 
Marquinhos, obviously the, the the only incoming signing. Sam Christos returned. Uh, uh, we've said plenty about kind of their, their business in January, but just in terms of today, Christos came on. Marcelino Nunez also came on. We didn't see Marquinhos. Were you a little bit surprised at, at, at that, or, or not? Given that he he probably hasn't had a lot of uh, of training sessions since he arrived at the club. Yeah, less so given I think Wagner said in his press conference that he saw Jolis being more ready for it than Marquinhos and that doesn't sound like a player who he was particularly confident would feature. Um, I was actually surprised Jolis came on when um, Wagner's original two substitutions were Adam Eder and Marcelino Nunez. Um, so yeah, I think it was it was good to see Jolis back out on the pitch, admittedly not too much to remember that performance by but probably harsh to judge him on a substitute appearance um, against a, a team top of the league when Norwich were already 3-0 down but I think Marquinhos uh, it might be somebody who it takes two or three weeks to get used to things and get used to Wagner's system it does seem quite strange the idea of a six-month loan under David Wagner when he's such a sort of system coach and a bit of a project manager and somebody who talks quite regularly about inputting his ideas into players because you'd think the amount of time um, that's presumed to take would mean sort of six months lo- six month loans are by their their own nature sort of doomed to fail in a sense because they're they're there for short term impact and for a player to be able to um, boost a club in a very short space of time. So that is a little bit of a worry for me with the Marquinhos. Uh, situation, I think, with Jolis, even if he doesn't end up helping with the promotion bid too much this season, he's probably a player that Norwich see developing into a big player for them in the future. Uh, and I think Wagner's spoken about how his task is to make that happen, basically. But with Marquinhos, I'd like to see signs from him sooner rather than later, purely because of the amount of time he has left in a Norwich shirt. But um, from Wagner's comments, I wasn't feeling particularly positive about the chances that we'd see him for a significant amount of time um, this afternoon. So I wasn't really especially surprised, but what a 3-0 defeat does is it sort of resets the the starting lineup balance and it probably gives Wagner a, a chance to go back to the drawing board and gives all the players a chance to really impress in training and force their way into Wagner's thoughts because there aren't too many players based on today's performance that have enough credit in the bank to demand that they start at Bristol uh, in a week's time. So... I'm quite looking forward to seeing Wagner's team selection um, when we get to the southwest, and perhaps we do see the likes of Jolis and Marquinhos play a more significant role. But for now, just given the amount of time that they've had at the club, I wasn't particularly surprised that they didn't play a starring role this afternoon. No, likewise, a couple of other bits. Then season tickets, uh, the renewal packs. Is that the right term? Renewal packs. They were sent to people. Yeah, I think that's what they're called. They're letters. They were letters this year, anyway. Um, and uh, the prices have been frozen. Um, which is, again, interesting, uh, given, obviously, the economic times that we, we live in. We could have a big debate about that, but uh, I think, ultimately, it's, it's up for, obviously, individuals to to kind of make their own judgment on, on what that means for them and, and, and various aspects around that decision. But the other thing I did want to speak about, Pad, just to, to close the pod, was, uh, obviously, since we last recorded the pod, Norwich um, announced that they were going to have a, another emergency I think it was an emergency general might have just been general meeting this one but uh, certainly a, a meeting to discuss more shares being made available which again at a time where we we talk about uh, well we have spoken about 
uh, Mark Atanasio and uh, his involvement at the football club, which seems to be growing. And, and I would expect the vast majority, if not all of those shares that potentially could be made available to, to go to, to them. Um, it, it's an interesting time, isn't it? And, and I guess it's interesting timing as well in terms of how this has, has come about and when it's come about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, as we've said on a few various <coughs> platforms we've recorded about this topic, you know, all we've got is another procedural hurdle or confirmation of, you know, beyond that, you know, we're then applying the context. I don't disagree with your version. I think that's probably where this is heading. Um, but more will come out, I'm sure, at post. Is it the 13th of Feb? Yeah. I think yeah. it is, yeah. Um, and if that is how it's resolved, then, you know, you're getting to you're getting to a stage where, you know, you're effectively going to have a, a, a very balanced lead shareholding mix between the Atanasio group and, and the current majority shareholders. And that all flows into a sense that, you know, this incremental steps um, of getting to know you phase, that's obviously going very well because they wouldn't, I'm sure, embark on this course of action so soon after. It was only September, I think, that we had the previous meeting to a confirm the the Folger shareholder private transaction to the Atanasio group, but but more pertinently, a place on the board for for Mark Atanasio. So, the proximity of that to this suggests that the intervening period has gone, in terms of the relationship, very well. Um, you know, I think it's safe to say that they've been very astute how they've stayed out of the picture. Yes, they did a little bit of media around that trip they made for the Middlesbrough game, um, but in terms of getting to know the business, accepting what they don't know trying to implement what they do know perhaps behind the scenes and I think this is just another visible sign in terms of the shareholding mix that you know they're in it for the long haul and it's probably a case of when rather than if um, they eventually do take control as they did you know in a very similar fashion to the Brewers and 17 18 years later they're still in in charge and in control of the Brewers turn them into relative to their resource base very competitive in uh, Major League Baseball I'm sure that's what a lot of Norwich fans hope is going to happen here, but it but clearly that tells you this isn't going to be an overnight fix. This is a, a long-term project, and this is just another part of the next phase of the journey, really. But um, you know that's probably certainly not going to impact hugely in terms of what happens on the pitch over the next six months. But but if if it goes through in the direction we anticipate, then maybe in the summer you will start to see a real tangible input from them in terms of particularly if the club are still in the championship, you know, what it looks like moving forward because clearly they're not coming in just to backseat drive. They want to come in and really put their stamp on this club um, and try and apply some of the, the principles that have, as I say, transformed the Brewers to, to Norwich City. They see a lot of parallels, a lot of synergy. I think we all do, looking at it from the outside. Um, and ultimately, you know, something does need to change because it's it's fundamentally the case that under the current model, they're not competitive when they go to the Premier League. Um, and whether it was this season or next season or seasons to come, they got back there again. They need to do something different. And this is clearly an attempt to try and do something different. Yep, yep. That's a very serious way to end the pub. We usually end it on some nonsense. Um, well, have you got, have you got any say, nonsense? Well, I probably shouldn't. Have, but when you were talking about transfer windows, we did make a bid for McDennis, but it was, re- <laughs> it was rejected out of hand. So. <laughs> Okay, you can guess which party rejected it out of hand. So, uh, yeah, uh, there's a bit of frivolous uh, banter, as they say. That's that's your your usual standard of reporting, Paddy. Um, there yeah. we go. Sam, any nonsense? Uh, no. Uh, hot dogs in the press box. Fun. 
Yep. 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 There's nothing fun. That's a no. serious business. Hot dogs. Yeah, Paddy missed out. Yeah, yeah, no. the... It's not. There's no fun in me finding the, out after the event that there was hot dogs in the press. Well, room. to quote Chris Wilder, you got to get there earlier. You yeah, knew there was going to be a rush. That's true. This is the thing. While us, uh, us lowly reporters are grafting hard, the Norwich City editors swan in late doors and miss out on the sausages. I think that's a, <laughs> that's a lesson for us all. Yes, yes. I don't think I have any other nonsense, so we'll, we'll leave it on that. Thank you uh, very much for listening to this week's uh, podcast. Uh, of course, you can um, follow all of our, our work across uh, the Pinkin channels, Pinkin.com or the Pinkin Plus app. Uh, you probably get sick of us saying it, but I'll say it again. There's a, a free trial available for you to get uh, at Pinkin.com. Just click the Pinkin Plus tab at the top of the website if you are subscribed. Thank you very much for your continued support. We'll be in uh, in Bristol next weekend for uh, the game against Bristol City. It's going to be absolutely fascinating and uh, we will catch up with you all then. Thank you very much for listening. See you again very soon.